Hello and welcome to the RBC Broadview Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. You in that way, and I'm thrilled to be bringing the word for us to worship God as we explore his goodness and his power and his mercy through uh, the word that he has for us this morning. So it's my prayer that God will speak to you deeply in the situations that are whirling around your mind as you sit here this morning. I know that none of us come here in a void. Um, If we're very lucky, we come here thinking this is, you know, very easy life today and I'm very happy to be at church. But most of the time we come with um, people or burdens of others or ourselves on our mind. And so it's my prayer that Jesus will speak sweetly and strongly to you in those circumstances this morning. So in the past year, as you saw that little boy uh, racing his way down to his dad at the front, um, as a new mum, I've met so many new people. I feel like this last year has just expanded my social circle. I've met neighbours that I never saw before until I was strolling with the pram. And I've met mums at mums groups that um, are local, at church, council. And so lots and lots of introducing myself. And in the joy of meeting these new people, I've also encountered something that I have now begun to dread. And maybe you dread this too. It's the moment when someone says, so, Ellie, so, Andrew, tell the group who you are. And I just freeze like a deer in the headlights. And I think, oh my gosh, how do I sum up who I am in a couple of sentences for these strangers? What do they want to know? Is the fact that I long to be a mum for so many years, is that everything that I have to share? Is the career that I have put on hold even relevant anymore? Do they want to know where I live, what suburb I'm in, how much money I make, what my um, cultural heritage is, what my religion is? All of these things flood into my mind and I think, what is relevant about my identity? And perhaps you too have been stumped thinking, how do I sum myself up? If you're younger than me, perhaps you think, oh, I don't know, what have I done in life yet that I can talk about? And if you're older than me, perhaps you think, how can I possibly sum up this grand life that I live and have lived in a few sentences? I think that one of the big topics of our Western culture at the moment is how we sum up our identity. And you might have noticed people around you summing up their identity with things like their net worth like their career titles, like how much their house went for, where they live, where their kids are going to school, perhaps their gender, perhaps their religion, and maybe even something as weird, we would never have thought this would be part of our identity two years ago, but their vaccination status. And so we are really all about how do we define ourselves and define other people. And I think the world has a lot to say to us about our identity and it has two lies that it likes to convince us of. The first about our identity that culture wants to tell us is if that we just work really, really, really hard for a really long time and succeed, that our hustle can build us a big and strong, glorious identity that we can rely on. And the second is that if that doesn't work for you, then instead of being defined by your hustle, you'll be defined by your lack of hustle, your lack of success and achievement. Perhaps you'll be identified as a victim of the circumstances that you have found have swamped your life. 
And I think both of those are lies. And I think that Paul has something much better to say to us about our identity that we can read today. And I think um, it's important for us to look at this because if we don't re-examine what we build our identity on, we can find ourselves putting it in the wrong place. Things have um, shaken us in the past two years, as we've all seen. We know that there are people across the world whose identities have been shaken by the pandemic. People who used to be healthy and identify as young, strong people now suffering with long COVID. People who once identified as loving husbands and wives have been cruelly redefined as widows and widowers. And we've seen in just absolutely unbelievable images and stories from the Ukraine in the last three weeks how people who just not even a month ago would have identified themselves as proud business owners, as gardeners, as people on the Parent Teachers Association have now been completely redefined. They've been thrust into a new identity, one of either soldiers on a front line they didn't ask for and don't want to really be a part of, or victims of war, refugees and asylum seekers fleeing to cross a border. We cannot even imagine how quickly, or perhaps you can, perhaps something has happened in your life that has turned your identity topsy-turvy overnight, just like these people in the Ukraine and closer to home, our beloved Australian brothers and sisters who have watched everything be swept away, that they used to put their identities in, things that they used to be known by, have been washed away, irrevocably changed by the floods that we've seen. So it's important for us to remember as freshly as this news comes to us, that the things that the world tells us to put our identity in cannot be relied upon. We cannot, even on the good days, it's really easy to think that they can. That university degree, that new investment property, the the popularity you have at work, it's really easy to believe that those things are a great part of your identity you can rest in. But we see that they can be taken very quickly. Our identities can be changed against our will. And so... I'd like to propose that God invites us to put our identity in things that are slightly different to the world and that uh, if you're new to the Bible, I want to propose that a very ancient letter that a man named Paul wrote to his friends in a place called um, Ephesus has something to say to us here 2,000 years later about how we should be forming our identity. So today we begin a series looking at this 2,000-year-old book. Um, written to new Christians in a very pagan city that was all about worshipping the god of Artemis. There were a small bunch of Christians gathering together, huddled around reading Paul's writings, thinking, what have we got ourselves into? This news about Jesus seemed really good, but now I don't have a job. My family's disinvited me from Christmas. Well, they wouldn't have had Christmas, but you know what I mean, the Artemis festival. They're not popular anymore. People look around and go, oh, they're those people who used to follow our culture but now are following Jesus. And they needed this letter um, desperately, and I think we do today. And so in this letter, Paul challenges the Ephesians, and I think he challenges us to stop striving to define themselves the way the world does. And instead, he invites us to rest in a life-changing truth. He tells us that when we let God love us and the gospel story reshape us, we get a new identity and a brand new way of living. God's love redefines it and lets, if we let it, it changes us from the inside out. Now, Paul's not writing this letter to us or to his friends in Ephesus from a really cushy um, little holiday, perhaps. I mean, Rome's pretty pretty. I really enjoyed being in Rome. So he's not, you know, at a little cafe having a little gelati while he writes this. He's stuck in prison. He's not writing it because things are going well. He's writing it despite his circumstances. And he, um, despite these awful circumstances of being thrown in prison, 
Paul is still so effusively grateful to God and so overjoyed by this experience of his relationship with Jesus that his words just tumble out of him. When I was looking at the first 14 verses, I thought, oh, heck, I learned that they're just one sentence in the Greek and there's no way I could have read them to you in one sentence. Paul just is this breathy prayer of praise. And so we are going to unpack that um, verse by verse this morning and see what his praise has to tell us. So we pick it up this morning after he's greeted his friends. In verse 3 we read, Paul say, Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. He begins by praising God for spiritual blessings in Christ. When we think of blessings, we tend to think of things that are quite tangible, things that make our life more comfortable. Perhaps a new job, perhaps that new iPhone since yours got smashed, perhaps a neighbour that you really like to gather with, things and opportunities that make life nicer, perhaps getting things going our way is a blessing that we really enjoy and we should be grateful for blessings like that, for tangible blessings like a roof over our heads and a soft bed to collapse into at the end of the day. But these types of blessings as we know, are not universal. Even just in Lismore right now, there are people who are living in school gyms who don't have even a bedroom of their own. So these blessings are not the universal ones that are causing Paul to get really excited with his letter of praise. When things are not going our way, these are not the things that Paul decides to thank God for. He is instead thanking God for universal spiritual realities. Blessings that we all have access to in Jesus. In Jesus, anyone anywhere can enjoy a restored relationship with God. Anyone anywhere can enjoy the blessing of his peace. In Jesus, anyone anywhere can enjoy peace, salvation, redemption, hope and a future. All of these have been given to us in Jesus Christ. And this phrase, in Christ, is central to Paul's letter. It happens 12 times in our first 14 verses, so he loves to use it. What does he mean by in Christ? King Jesus and these blessings, I would like to propose, are a package deal. You don't get to enjoy the blessings outside of Christ. If you ignore Jesus, we ignore his blessings. And so they come wrapped up together. They don't even exist outside of him. So much are they found in Jesus, in our relationship with Jesus. These blessings are kind of like your best friend getting a super yacht. I'd be pretty excited if my best friend got a super yacht. But at the end of the day, it wouldn't really impact my life very much at all unless I took up my best friend's invitation to jump on board and sail around the world with them. With Jesus, it's like jumping on his super yacht. When we're with Jesus, every blessing that he has is ours. He shares everything that he has with us without reservation. And I think that's wonderful news for us as we choose to follow him every day. So this morning, I want to look at three of these spiritual blessings that are found on the yacht and how they shape our identity and our lives. We want to look at these because it's only in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're really living for. Paul today challenges us to let go of whatever is at the top of your run of identity markers. Whatever has found its way all the way up there, maybe even something slotted into a new position this week. He wants you to have a good look at that this morning and to consider what God's words have to say to you about pushing those things down, about giving them up to God willingly in exchange for your identity as one who is in Christ. 
So firstly, in him we are loved, chosen, and included. Verse 4 says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. The first thing that Paul is telling us is to be the cornerstone of our identity is that in Jesus, we are loved, that we are chosen and that we are included into the mystery, into the beautiful, vibrant life of the Trinity, the Father, Son and the Spirit. And just as incredibly, he tells us that this has not just been true for five minutes since you haven't really done anything wrong since you've been worshipping probably. So no sinning's been happening. So in the last five minutes, this has become true. He tells us, no, this became true well before you were even a thought in your family, well before the earth was even formed. So what does this mean to you? Why should this matter to you this week? I think it matters because it means that your life is not just the result of a cosmic coincidence. If God was thinking of you before the creation of the world, God was longing for you and planning for you, you're here on purpose. You have an intention and a plan in the loving um, relationship that God has for you. You were pre-planned and you were longed for and God did not decide to love you or become your father after you came along and impressed him. After you were really good or really smart or really successful or even just faked being all of those things. None of that was what convinced him. He chose you well, well before you could ever do anything to offer him a reason to become his dad, to become his child. And one day we're going to tell our little boy Tommy something very similar to this. We're going to tell him that we longed for him for so many years before he was born, that we wanted him and that we loved him and we chose to be his parents, not because it turns out he's really good at spelling one day or really good at the golf swing, which is practicing at the moment, or perhaps because he becomes a plumber, which would be really handy, or a doctor, which would impress people. None of that is going to be why we chose to have him or love him. And so this is the same extravagant, intentional, beautiful love that God wants to remind you. Even if you've heard this a thousand times, you cannot soak in this truth enough that God loved you before you were born. The enemy would love to have us think the opposite, that our life is just an insignificant coincidence, an afterthought of God's at best. Paul wants you to know that God loves you intentionally and that it gave him great joy to choose you. Just because you are you, not because of anything you do. He wants a relationship with you because of who he is. And a blessed and a secure identity starts with being having a foundation, a strong foundation of what God the Father thinks of you, what he thought of you then, what he thinks of you now. You're invited today to live from a secure identity as a child of God, not into an identity that you have to earn, but from one that was pre-prepared for you before you were born. So I wonder today, is your identity rooted in this firm belief that God chose and loves you? Why do I think this question matters? I think it matters because when we are spending all of our time, consciously or subconsciously, seeking approval, seeking love, seeking just to be good enough to be accepted, that's all we can do. That means when we're looking for approval, all of our time, our energy, our decisions is all lived over in this direction here, all for approval, even when we think we're doing it for other reasons, right at the bottom. If right now I'm preaching for approval, I'm going to be thinking, what's everyone thinking? 
What are they going to say about me afterwards? You can't even preach God's good news from a place of seeking approval without worrying about it. So we are people who consciously or subconsciously go in this direction. And instead, if we can become people who live out of the truth that we're already loved and chosen, we can choose to move all of our financial resources, our emotional energy, the time we have in our day, the time that we're given on this earth into the direction as being one who lives out of our identity. You're living instead that way, not to create and maintain your identity, but to share yours. Because when you're living out that identity, God's love bubbles up within you. It overflows you when you soak in it, and it can't help but splash out on the people that live in your street, perhaps the people who live in your home that wake you up very early in the morning, uh, the people that drive you crazy in your neighbourhood or at craft group or at work. It can't help but splash out even onto your enemies. And so instead of being someone who is striving, you become someone who can rest in what has always been true of you and to live a life that shows other people what is already true of them too. Once we're free in this identity, it shapes the way that we live and shapes and frees us to be available to God's bigger story. When we know God's love, it changes the way that our identity looks to others as well. And isn't that identity of a loved, chosen, beautifully designed and intentionally created child, one that feels good to rest in instead of the one that we've strived for? And so the second part of our identity that Jesus has to invite us to engage with is that in Jesus, as his beloved planned children, we have been redeemed. We find in verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. That's our reminder that it cost him everything. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. We have redemption from a God who lavished. He didn't withhold. He didn't meet it out in tiny little portions. He lavished his grace upon each one of us when we had nothing to offer and could never, ever deserve it. Ephesians, I think, contains some of Christianity's most beautiful phrases describing this good news that we here at church to learn about and to celebrate. The good news is not that you were a normal, broken human being who made some poor choices that hurt yourself and other people, but one day you found the ticket. You tried really, really hard for long enough and you saved yourself. Ah, that's not good news because that's impossible. And I don't know if it's just me, but it's certainly impossible for me because even when I try something as simple as giving up sugar, as Maddie can attest, two weeks later you'll find me at the Hague's counter uh, going back on that decision to give up sugar and chocolate and all things like that. And so the idea of in my own strength or in your own strength, us being able to choose to be good, to live like Jesus, to choose other people over ourselves, to choose God's way instead of our ways, to choose creation over our convenience, that sounds absolutely impossible, let alone the hard ones like choosing to love people who are our enemies or not hate people who disagree with us. All of that would be bad news if that's what we were expected to do. But Paul tells us we can't save ourselves. There's one who can, though. There's one who did, and that is our good news that we celebrate. In Ephesians 2, we read, you were dead in your sins, completely dead. No life force, no energy, dead in your sins, doing your own thing, living the way you used to live. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in our sins and could not contribute, it is by grace you have been saved. 
if you don't really take this spiritual blessing of redemption in, if you don't know and realize that it's not all down to you, that Jesus has made this happen, then you are going to feel that God is pretty disappointed in you. I think a lot of people feel out on the street who don't engage with a relationship with Jesus, they would feel that God is disappointed in them, disappointed in what they do, disappointed in what they don't do. And who can blame them if all they've heard is that they have to try hard enough to be good enough to earn a relationship with God? Who wouldn't think God would be disappointed with them? And who wants a relationship with someone who's mad at them all of the time? I certainly don't. The spiritual blessing of lavish redemption and grace that we read about in Ephesians is beautiful news because it frees us from guilt and from sin. It means that every broken choice that you have made, every time you have hurt someone, you've hurt yourself and chosen your own way, has not been fixed by you, but has been absolutely overridden by Jesus' grace, by his perfect life, by his willing, loving death and his powerful resurrection. We are redeemed people. And as people who instead of striving, but instead receive redemption, we start, ironically, to look like Jesus. Those people who are trying to look like Jesus never can, and the people who know that they've been redeemed by him start to look identical to him. Because when we focus on whose we are and who we are, we can't help through the Spirit but have what his likenesses start to be replicated in our choices, in the way that you relate to one another after the service and to the people in your world Monday to Saturday. I think it's good news that we don't have to uh, will ourselves to be better but instead can rest in our identity as free, loved and redeemed children of God. And the good news continues with our third blessing this morning. Paul tells us that in him, in Jesus, we have received an eternal inheritance. In verse 13, he says, when you, were, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The last spiritual blessing is this presence and the promise of the Holy Spirit guaranteeing your inheritance. As Christians, we look forward to an eternal inheritance, not just something that might come down from our family, a bit of jewellery, perhaps even a house if you're super lucky, something that can be taken away in a recession or a flood. Instead, our eternal inheritance is one that will go on forever in the kingdom of God with King Jesus. A life with Jesus, the hope of this kingdom is that in his kingdom, pain will end. Suffering will be over, hopelessness will disappear, joy will be all around us forever, and we will live a resurrected life alongside the resurrected Christ. Our inheritance is the presence of our loving God with us and within us forever. And the Holy Spirit is what he has given us, is who he has given us to guarantee that to us. I think that the Holy Spirit is the way that God wants us to experience his closeness and his love here and now. In the circumstances swirling around our world, this is something that Paul tells us we can cling to. And I think personally, I hope for you too, that this is a generous deposit of an inheritance from God. Because God didn't think, oh, okay, well, I'll tell them about the inheritance and I will uh, rise again and I'll come back a few thousand years later and I think they'll be fine with that. 
I think Jesus knew very, very closely that we would need the Holy Spirit to get through one day for his first believers, let alone us, all these years later. With so much darkness, so many reasons to doubt, God was not, um, he's not a stranger to the idea that we doubt. He was not going to be mad at us when he thought, oh, 2,000 years later, gee, I can't believe those people at Broadview are sometimes going to question my goodness. Instead, he thought, gee, those people at Broadview... Life's going to be tough sometimes, and they are going to question my goodness. And so I am giving them a deposit so that they can be guaranteed their inheritance is on the way. It's going to be amazing. And the way they know it's amazing is they get to engage with their deposit right now in the Holy Spirit. The problem with a deposit is, though, you need to engage it. And so the Holy Spirit doesn't just want to sit on the shelf and sit outside of our experience of God, just something that we can talk about. But he wants to be experienced by you. He wants you this afternoon to say to him, Holy Spirit, please show up in a way that you have not shown up in me and to me before. Things are confusing. I am doubting. I am feeling worried and overwhelmed. I need to feel that love, the tangible presence of God through you, Holy Spirit. And he will delight in bringing a portion of your inheritance to you right here and now. I love the confidence that the Holy Spirit gives us. He is why no matter what is going on around us, we can trust and choose to put our trust in the fact that God is good, he is still going to be good in the future and that he will do what he has promised he will do. Peter tells us about our inheritance and I love how he puts it in, uh, how it's put in the message version. What a God we have And how fortunate we are here today to have him, this father of our master Jesus. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and we have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. God is keeping careful watch over us in the future. The day is coming when you will have it. Life healed and whole. Who does not want to engage with the deposit of that inheritance? Friends, the Holy Spirit is here today to remind us that in Christ we are so blessed. We are loved, we are redeemed, we have been sealed in the Holy Spirit and we have an eternal inheritance coming our way in Jesus. So what should our response this morning be to these spiritual blessings? I think that our response should be just like the Apostle Paul's, one of praise and thankfulness. Because these spiritual blessings, unlike the ones that we enjoy that are physical and tangible, cannot be taken away. They cannot be taken away by a flood. They cannot be taken away by a frightening enemy. And they cannot be taken away by circumstances that we have not even imagined might happen tomorrow. These spiritual blessings were enough to make a prisoner in Rome cry out with joy about the goodness of God and cry out in words that have echoed through generations to find their way to us this morning. We know how vulnerable our physical blessings and possessions can be. And so our invitation from the Holy Spirit this week is to put our stock, all of our trust and faith, all of our identity in who we are in Christ. To be grateful for those other things, but to take all of the trust that we put in them and put them back in the person of Jesus. Paul knew that even when everything was stripped away from him, the good news of Jesus and his close and intimate relationship with the person of Christ could never be taken away. And so this week, will you follow the example of Paul? Will you praise God specifically for the spiritual blessings he's given you? If they still seem a bit foreign and new to you, will you spend time in his word reading about them and going deeper to understand what these blessings are? Will you ask yourself, 
is there still something defining my identity higher than who I am in Christ? And will you ask the Holy Spirit to help you to lay that thing down and choose instead not to be one who strives, but to be one who rests as a beloved child? Will you soak in the blessing of your adoption into God's family as his beloved and dear son and daughter? Will you celebrate the riches of God's lavish grace given to us in his redemption? And will you stop trying to measure up and instead live as one who is already forgiven and loved? Church, Paul wants us to know that this good news of Jesus, this gospel that we say that we celebrate and live for, is the biggest, the best, the most adventurous and glorious story that you can be a part of. And it's not just a story that you're a part of for your own sake. It's a story that you're a part of because you have a part to play. Our lives have a purpose far outside of ourselves, far outside of us surviving whatever's happening around us, storing up treasures for us and for the people who come after us. Our life is meant to be part of a significant um, role that God has crafted for you, yourself, an individual role that he's made for you to play in his big overarching story. Just like Paul's story is impacting us 2,000 years on, our life is to impact other people. We must never forget that just like Abraham was told back when the people of God began, that we are blessed not to sit around and enjoy our blessings, but to be a blessing to other people. Blessed to bless other people. Ephesians 2 tells us that we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That means that each person sitting here, your neighbor, your friend, has gifts and skills and abilities and passions that God has placed in their life and on their hearts for the express purpose of glorifying him and being part of his artwork in the world, created to do the good deeds that he's created for you to do. So Maddie's are not going to be the same as mine. Dave's are not going to be the same as Dan's. We've got to ask God, what are these works that you have created me as a beloved, redeemed and free child to do? Paul says, as I close this morning, he offers us a rallying cry. He says to you, Broadview, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Imagine what difference living out of your calling to be a beloved, restful, redeemed child of God. Imagine the difference that could make in your own experience of life, in your relationship with God and in your relationship with the people around you. I believe that this difference is one that God wants to make through us strongly in this very generation. I think he wants it to be something that marks us as people who live out of our identity and live in a way that is generous and blesses the people around us because of the love that we have experienced. So this morning, would you stand with me? I'd love to pray for you as people who are redeemed, full of grace, lavished upon you and beloved. So would you stand and pray? Father God, our prayer this week is that the things that we have spoken about this morning would be made real and tangible to us through your Holy Spirit. Father, for those of us who have grown up perhaps with a family or a father or parents who did not cherish us, perhaps who didn't even mean for us to be brought into the world, would you replace our story with an identity of yours that you've given us as a beloved child, dreamt of, planned for, loved before we could offer you anything. And God, for those of us 
who are stuck in a pattern of striving for approval and affirmation and acceptance, either from you or from our partners or from our families or from strangers. Lord, would you break open our hearts to the news that we have already been loved and forgiven and redeemed, that we don't need to earn our acceptance or earn our redemption, but in you we have everything we have ever wanted. And God, for those of us who can be guilty of enjoying the blessings you've given us and not really thinking past them. Lord, would you help the songs that we sing and the words that we read and the lives that we live to go so much further than ourselves, Jesus. Would the people here in this room at Broadview, would they be known as those who are so richly blessed that they bless every person around them? God, thank you for the works that you have created for us to do. Help us to find joy and fulfillment in the lives that you've called us to live. We thank you for the opportunity to live out our lives as those who are loved by you. And we love you right back. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through The Hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.